Thank you, praise team, our choir for filling in. Rachel Trapp is not here this morning, and so uh, be praying for her. She's out of town, so remember those that are out of town today. But thank our praise team, thank all of you for taking part in worship. And that's what we come together to do on Sunday morning. Part of it is to worship. And so I hope you were involved in worship this morning. If you would, please turn to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, I want to share a very familiar passage of Scripture. Luke 16. I'd planned to preach uh, two other sermons. And God would, he kept bringing me back to a sermon that I shared years and years and years and years ago. And the title of this sermon is Lazarus at Your Gate. Lazarus at Your Gate. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity we've had to come and worship you. And now as we open the Holy Scriptures, your inspired, infallible, inerrant word, may we understand, Lord, this Message, Father, is from you. We're reading from your word. And as you speak to our hearts, we pray that our minds be open and clear, that we'll focus upon our relationship with you. We'll allow your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts, move us in decisions that we need to make. Thank you for what you're going to do today in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would, look at a familiar passage, Luke chapter 16. We're going to begin reading with verse 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores. And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by angels into Abraham's bosom the rich man also died. He was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeing Abraham afar off, Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame." But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he's comforted, thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you there's a great guff fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. And Abraham said unto him, They have Moses, the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went from the dead, they will repent. He said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. You know, we've heard this passage preached a 
lot of times I've preached several sermons from this passage. It's referred to in other sermons. And if you've been a Christian for any period of time, you probably have heard a preacher refer to this passage when they were preaching on death or heaven or hell or separation from God or maybe eternity. And normally this passage is used to express to the unbeliever, that person's never trusted Christ. Normally it's used to impress upon them the horrors of hell. However, several years ago, God, God revealed to me that in Luke 16, 19 through 31, also has a message for believers. Now, for weeks we've been preparing for my friendship connection friend day. We started through the, we've gone through four weeks today through September. Started about the last week, perhaps of August. Been doing a lot of preparation for friend day. Friend day's next Sunday. Friend day is a time for you and I to to invite a friend, a neighbor, a classmate, anyone who God lays upon our heart to be our friend, to attend church at our invitation to hear the gospel about the good news of Jesus Christ. Friends that will come in, acquaintances that will come in, we want, to, we want to greet them, we want to meet them, we want to worship with them, we want to feed them, we want to give them a gift, and we want them to know that, that whoever they are, or whatever they've done, that we love them, and more than that, that Jesus Christ loves them. God loves them. God loves them. And so today, as, as, uh, as we look at these crosses, those are people that we've made a connection with that said, I plan to be there. I'm going to be there unless I'm providentially hindered. I'm going to be there. And maybe there's some more. I noticed some more laying in this basket over here that's turned in this morning. Had three turned in. Uh, this past Wednesday night, and, and I've had some that would have turned in, maybe they've turned in cards to me th maybe three times, and each time they'd hand me three, they'd hand me four. One person would do that. One person would do that. One would do that. And so, um, we need to be praying with that prayer list that you were handed out. We've worked We've, we have worked like it all has depended on us, and we pray like it all depends upon the Lord. And I believe God's going to bless our effort. He always does. And we've studied in Sunday school, Sunday school lessons the past four weeks. Preschool had lessons about bringing friends. Today, they, they had the lesson on, uh, Judy's class had the lesson where they lowered the man on the pallet, on the bed in front of Jesus. I preached on that week, last week. And we've had Sunday school lessons for four weeks in preschool in our children's department and in our youth department and, and all of our senior adult, all of our adult departments and senior adult departments. And we've dealt with biblical reasons, biblical reasons why we should invite people to come to hear about the gospel. This is my fourth sermon on what God's Word says about the importance of of bringing people to Jesus. Giving those little connect cards. You have them there in front of you. Giving those connect cards. We made 500 of those. 
500 of those, one at a time. Rita made 500 of those, one at a time. We didn't do them professionally, have them professionally made this year. We did them individually. One at, she did one at a time, and, and, and she perforated the crease where they tear off easy, and we did them in color. And we made 500 and gave them out and put them in chairs. And, and right now, we've ha- we have about 50 turned in, maybe 75. Those connect cards just used to encourage you to connect with a friend who either is a, an unbeliever or unchurched. And some of you did that. But I'm afraid the majority of you did not do that. Perhaps uh, maybe you'll do it this coming week. Take those with you this coming week. Make an effort to invite a friend, a family member, a neighbor, someone who you know needs Jesus or someone that's unchurched discouraged along the way and invite them to, to be your guest next Sunday. You say, Brother well, Sammy, I'm not, you sound like you're upset. I'm not upset. I just pray that, I pray that my passion for lost people never dies. I believe that's why God not only called me to preach, but that's why he saved me and left me here to be on commission with him. This great commission, this commission with him to win a lost world to himself. Now, I'm, I'm not upset. I'm, I'm not upset, but I wonder how God feels about people when they're unconcerned and, and, and they're really uh, indifferent or uninvolved in what the church is doing and trying to reach people um, to hear the good news about Jesus. I wonder how he feels about that. Well, he spoke to me in this passage. Look at verse 19 through 21. We're going to see two characters here, and you're familiar, no doubt, but God will speak to you in a different way as he did me. Look, if you will, in verse 19. There was a rich man, two characters, which was clothed in purple and fine linen, fared sumptuously every day. So you have this rich man. I mean, we don't know his name. We don't have his name, and I always felt as though that we don't have his name simply because his name wasn't written in the Lamb's Book of Life. But he was a rich man. Uh, so you have this person unnamed. This per- person unnamed in purple and fine linen. And he lives this great life. He lives a life of luxury, this magnificent life. He, I mean, his house is full of, of, uh, of guests. His house is full of joy. His house is full of excitement. His house is full of servants. He had everything that money could buy. But he was lacking one thing in his life, in his heart. And I really believe that was the absence of a love of God that God puts in each one that comes to him. The love of God. He's God. In, he gives us a, a love implant when we're saved. And we see people different. We want them to come to know Christ. And so you have this first character. You have this uh, rich man. But then you have this beggar. This beggar was full of sores. You notice that. And he was miserable. And the Bible says he desired the crumbs from the rich man's table and dogs came and just offered first aid to him by just licking his sores. And look at verse 22. It came to pass that the beggar died. came to pass that the beggar died. So kind death, death was kind to him. Kind death came to this poor man. It was kind to him because it brought relief. Relief, the dogs ran away. It was kind to him because he moved from the code payment of this rich man's heart 
He, it was kind to him because it moved him into the warm bosom of Abraham. Death came. No doubt this rich man, when he heard that the beggar died outside the gate, he, he was no doubt excited. Well, it's about time that he died. I mean, I've had to step over him. I've had to go around him. I had to drive by him. I had to see this every day. I mean, it's good riddance to the poor man. I'm not bothered with him anymore. No doubt that may have been the way he felt. But then all of a sudden, the clock, time, just kept clicking on and clicking on. It always does. And look at verse 22. Verse 22 says... Uh, the, the, the beggar died, and then suddenly the rich man in the bottom part of that verse, the rich man also died, and he was buried. So suddenly this purple, this fine linen began to sag on him. It just began to sag. I mean, he was just, uh, he was sick. And so you have the sickness, and you have no doubt a sick bed. You have this, the physicians, you have the attendants, and all of a sudden he dies. That's the way it is. Poor die, and then the rich die. But what's the difference between the two? Did you notice that? The beggar died, and the Bible says he was carried by angels into Abraham's bosom. The moment that he closed his eyes here, he opened his eyes in heaven. And, you know, those, the, the song, we don't have to cross Jordan alone. You don't. As a Christian, as a believer, you're going to be ushered in. I believe, based on this verse, he was, and I feel like I will be ushered right into the presence of God. I'm not going by myself. And when God gets ready for me to come, he'll send angels, and I believe with all my heart, they'll carry me right into the presence of God. That's what happened to him. Every day he was carried and laid in front of a palace gate. But now he was carried not to a palace gate, but he was carried to Abraham's bosom. And then verse 23, verse 22 says this rich man died, and then the Bible says in hell he lifted up his eyes. No more purple, no more robes, no more feasts, no more excitement, no, no, no none of that. Nothing. This robe just became really, if anything, a robe of fire, perhaps. No cry of repentance, no cry to the Heavenly Father, but only a cry, listen to this, to send a beggar, verse 24, send a beggar and let him touch his finger in water and just dip his finger in water and touch it to my tongue. That was his only request. Verse re Verse 25, look at it. Verse reply, verse 25 says, But Abraham said, this is after his request, he said, Son, remember that in thy lifetime receivest thy goods, and likewise Lazarus receive evil things, but now he's comforted and thou art tormented. And basically what he was saying is this. He was saying, Son, remember. Son, remember. Remember, there was a Lazarus at your gate. And there's a Lazarus at your gate, and at your gate, and at your gate, and at your gate, and at my gate. And we drive by them every day, starving to death for what we have, which is the bread of life and a water that quenches all thirst. 
Did you know there's a Lazarus at your gate? There's a Lazarus at your gate. Years ago, I was in my study. I've shared this, but the majority of you perhaps haven't heard it. And I was reading this passage, not taking notes or anything. And God says, there's a Lazarus at your gate. There's a Lazarus at your gate. And all of a sudden, a person walked into the church that lived next door to the church. And the moment that person walked in, God said, there's your Lazarus. And we, we did a little small talk, and, and I, I, said, I said to this person, I said, I need to ask you a question. Have you ever trusted Jesus? He said, no, I haven't, Brother Sammy. And, and this guy lived next door to the church. And I shared the gospel with him. And there in, in my study, he knelt down and, and he prayed, cried out to God to come into his life and say, there was a Lazarus at my gate. You know, it's possible that for most of us, we're kind of faring sumptuously on sermons and literature and study courses and study books. And none of that's wrong. They have their place. But at the same time, we forget there's Lazarus at our gate. So involved with the churchy stuff, perhaps. I know I, I get that way at times. And so how can we rejoice on the bread of life knowing others are starving for the bread? That's kind of inhumane. That's, that's inconsiderate, self-centered. That's really, for a Christian, hypocritical. Really hypocritical. And see, I believe with all of my heart, I've studied this, the sin that condemned this rich man was not his riches. The sin that condemned him was not his character. We don't know how much money he had, just said he was a rich man. It wasn't his character. We weren't told anything about that. It wasn't that he was being unfair. We don't know anything about that. But the sin that really condemned this rich man was that there was an absence of love for his Lazarus that only God can give, by the way. He neglected his Lazarus. A sin that condemned this rich man was, was none of what we might thought it would have been. But this sin was as he rejected the one who was laying at his gate. Wow. Look at Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. You'll see what God's word has to say about this in verse 31. We're about finished. When the Son of Man shall come, Matthew 25 verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all of his holy angels with him and, and shall set up on the throne of glory... And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he'll separate them one from another. A shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And Jesus said, And he, he shall set the sheep on his right hand, the goats on the left. And then shall the king say unto them on the right hand, Come, you blessed, in verse 34, my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I was in hunger, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Verse 36. Naked and you clothed me, I was sick, you visited me, I was in prison, you, you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer, saying, Lord, when saw we thee hungry and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw thee a stranger and took thee in naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you've done it unto the one of the least of these my brethren, you've done it unto me 
And then shall they say, then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed and the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. I was hungry and you gave me no meat. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you took me not in. Naked, you clothed me not. Sick and in prison, you visited me not. They'll answer, Lord, when saw we thee hungry and thirsty and a stranger and naked or sick or in prison and didn't minister to you? And he'll answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, As much as you did it not unto, or unto one of the least of these, you did it not to me. And they shall go away in the everlasting punishment. But the righteous, there's something about this love of God that he implants in the righteous that refuses to overlook those things. I know salvation... For by grace are you saved through faith. I know that. But then there's, there's this love implant that God puts in us when we come to him. And there's one thing, you know, there's one, you may not, you may not like the, my personality or I may have trouble with your personality, but there's one thing for sure you have to do and I have to do, and that's love each other. We have to do that. It's a great commandment if you remember that you love one another. By this shall all men know you're my disciples, if you have love one for another. So you have the reality of this Lazarus, and then you have this reality of hell. Look at that real quick. I believe, you know, I believe that for the great part of God's people today, that we really don't sense the reality of hell, or we'd go tell someone about heaven. It's just, they're going to hell. If they don't change, they're going to hell. We really don't understand the reality of hell, about its torments, its tortures, its intense pain. We don't, we don't think of any of that. You see, here, here's what it boils down to. There's never been any agony experienced on earth by anyone other than perhaps Christ Jesus, that he experienced the wrath of God for sin. But no one on earth has experienced any type of agony that they will experience in hell. That's how terrible it is. And so, I pray that God will convict us of this place called hell and the separation that's going to take place. Now, when, when did this man really realize when did he weep? Look at chapter 16, verse 28. For I have five brethren that they may testify to them. He said in verse 27, he said, I pray thee, in Luke 16, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. I have five brethren there. And he sounds serious. He sounds, no doubt, I don't, I don't know his emotional state, but I, I would think it was pretty, he was pretty emotional. I have, I have, you know, he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that you'd send to my father's house. I have five brethren, in verse 28, that they may testify unto them, lest they also come to this place. You know what Jesus said? He said, no, I can't do that. He said, they have Moses and the prophets. They have Moses and the prophets. They have Sammy and Philip. They have Grady and David. They have us to share with them how they wouldn't have to go to that place. You know, we need to pray that God will help us, that one day we might think what it might be like to be separated from a loved one or from a friend or from a neighbor or from a 
fellow co-worker or classmate, and they go to hell because we fail to share the gospel with them. We kept it to ourselves. You know, last week we talked about the sin of the desert. The sin of the desert, you know where the water is, but you won't tell nobody. It's kind of like the sin of the desert. We know how to get to heaven, but we don't tell nobody. I'm going to end with this. Have the reality of our responsibility. Verse 28 and verse 29, I just shared that with you. It's our responsibility. Ralph Beckenbach, I was visiting with Brother Ralph. He's not here today. He's our oldest church member, 96 years old. And years and years ago, when Ralph first came here, he shared something with me. Ralph loves music. He loves music. He very, he's very, he, he worked in a piano shop. He, helped, he learned how to tune pianos. And then he learned how to play the violin. And he's very gifted in music and talented in music. And one day he shared with me that, that uh, there, was, there was a Stradivarius violin that he held, his father had. And Ralph is 96. He was born in 1921. And his father had the Stradivarius violin. And he left that violin to Ralph. And Ralph kept that violin at home all those years. And then when he moved to Alabama, he brought that violin with him. And he said, Brother Sammy, you know, I'm, he said then, I'm old. He's much older now. He said, I'm old. And, and that would be a blessing to someone. If I just shared it with him. You know what he did? He took that Stradivarius violin. I don't know what it would be worth. How old it was. And he donated that Stradivarius violin. To the music department. At Northwest Shows Community College. He, and, and I've seen it. It's in a glass display there. There in the music. In the fine arts building. There's this violinist by the name of Terizzo. And I thought of Ralph when I read this. Terizzo was the greatest violinist who some think who had ever lived. And one day they, they found Terizzo dead and they went through his attic. They found 246 violins in his attic. And the caption said this, In his devotion to the violin, he had robbed the world of all that music during the time he treasured his violin. Wow. How many of us are kind of like Terizzo? How many of us have robbed the world of knowing about Jesus? Because we just kept it hemmed up. And we failed to offer the salvation to the world. I mean, we pray. We pray that the world will be saved, but we won't go. We pray the world will be saved, but we won't share. We want souls, one, but we don't witness. We want revivals, but we won't humble ourselves in the house of God. But we have a responsibility to the world. Close with 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, through about verse 20. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18, says this. Let me look at yeah, verse 18. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Get that? He's reconciled us. He's given to us the ministry 
of reconciliation to see that others are reconciled. Verse 19, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. You don't think you have a responsibility to take a connect card? Turn one in? Now then, we're ambassadors, verse 20, for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be you reconciled to God. So we have a ministry, and that ministry is reconciliation. Let's bow our heads for a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity we've had just to come and open your word to a familiar passage, a passage we've always thought about this, about hell and the rich man, the poor man, and him going to Abraham and, and what paradise is. And, and Father, the message today is we have a Lazarus close by. We have a Lazarus at our gate. And we have one ounce of the Holy Spirit in us. We have all of him. And that should be a concern of us when we see people next to us, near us, who don't know Jesus. Help us, Lord, we pray, to, to realize that we have a ministry of reconciliation, reconciling people to you, showing them the way, Help us not to hoard the message for people who are starving for the bread and are thirsty for the water. And we make this prayer in Jesus' name.